Amen. You can have a seat. Unless you're a fourth or fifth grader and you want to head out those back doors over there to meet your leaders for our kids' ministry. Um, as we have our last week before Christmas, I hope your Christmas shopping is done. Um, I'm still waiting for the Amazon guy for a couple of things, but I can almost guarantee you that amongst all the presents we're going to exchange, uh, I'm going to have my 44th Christmas in a row where I do not have a brand new Lexus with a big red bow on it in my driveway. I see those commercials every year and I'm like, people live that way? Like, they're just like, surprise? Here's a $50,000 car? Like... I mean, in case you're still shopping for your pastor, just heads up, right? I'm kidding. Don't buy me a car. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, I, I saw that commercial the other day and I kind of thought about, I've owned a lot of cars in my life. I've owned a ton of cars and some of them have had car payments. Some of them haven't. Uh, but I remember the days in which like I would pay off uh, a car, pay off a, an auto loan. And I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I remember one time in particular, I, I paid it off and kind of went to the bank to get the clean title and all that kind of stuff. And I was so excited. Um, and, and, and when I was done, like, I kind of like didn't, didn't trust it. I like, I didn't, I mean, Banks know what they're doing most of the time, but I'm like, let's just like hang on to all my paperwork and stuff. And about a month goes by and still haven't heard anything back from them in terms of like getting my clean title and all this kind of stuff. And so I go back in and they're like, oh yeah, sorry, we kind of made this mistake. You still have like one more day of interest that you got to like pay off the I don't know how much it was, right? Not much. Uh, but, you know, because of the timing of when we paid it off, there's a whole other, another day yet, right? And it didn't go all the way through. And so like uh, that feeling, that experience has made me, whenever it comes to like paying off uh, a credit card, paying off a car, maybe it's a mortgage for you. I don't know if you've ever had these experiences, but I tend to be the kind of person that's like, I'm just going to wait one more month to make sure this all went the way it was like supposed to. I'm going to hang on. I'm going to keep that payment in my bank account just in case I missed something or, or I hope, you know, you hope nothing got messed up, but you can never be too sure. And so I think because I'm this kind of person, maybe you can relate to that. I also take that same kind of attitude into my relationship with God. And so we just kind of talked about, we just sang these songs about uh, Jesus sort of paying the debt, right? And today we're looking at the Matthew tw- chapter 27, where it tells us the story of Jesus's crucifixion. And we've been in the book of Matthew for the whole year. In fact, we started Matthew last Christmas season. So a little more than a year, uh, just working chapter by chapter. But this moment in the story, we kind of often talk about It's Jesus paying the price for the sin in all of our lives, where Jesus created this ability for you and for me to be connected into relationship with God and no longer separated by sin. And yet I'm the kind of person that often struggles to believe that that's really true, right? To that, that this forgiveness of sin is this freely given thing. And I still kind of feel like you're sure about this, right? Like, I still hold on to the payment coupon. Like, I still have to prove that I've earned it. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you just hope that, like, I hope this is paid off. But I really would like some proof to know that I don't have to keep trying, that I don't have to keep paying, that I don't have to keep proving. 
And so I'd like to look at the, at the end of Jesus' story here as we get to the crucifixion. And I want to trace that feeling all the way back to the beginning, to the Christmas story that, that we're celebrating in the season. I want, to, I want to pull that thread of anxiety of, I hope this thing is paid off. And I kind of want to look at the story through that lens. And I hope that it challenges us to think a little bit differently about how we relate to God. So the first thing I want to do today is, is kind of go back to the beginning of the story. And I just want to give you a bunch of information. I'm going to give you a bunch of information uh, about the background and the history of what's happening at the time of Jesus' birth. And then what I hope I do well is after I give you a bunch of information, I'm going to hope that I can make that information matter to you in your life today. So we're going to start out with the story at the end and then travel back to the beginning. So this is Matthew chapter 27, and uh, it starts like this in verse uh, 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. So Jesus had gone before the religious leaders. He'd been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes before the religious people, and they bring him to the Roman officials, the governor. All right? And so at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. So they went to the crowd. They, they went. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate, the governor, asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? He asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. And then Pilate asked this question. He says, why? What crime has he committed? And they shouted all the louder, crucify him. That's where we're at in the story. Crucify him. Get him up at the cross. The torture, the murder of God's own son who became a human and walked among us. And when I read this story as we're kind of ramping into this crucifixion, one of the questions I often ask myself is, why did this have to happen like this? Why the cross? Why Jesus that we celebrate as a baby but now ends up here on the cross? Why sacrifice, as Pilate says, somebody who hasn't committed a crime? Why this innocent man? So let's take that back to the very beginning. Something that weaves through, I think, the story of Jesus born in a manger all the way to this moment uh, of crucify him from the crowd. So let me tell you a little bit first about Jesus' culture, particularly sacrifices in Jesus' culture. Because Jesus' religious culture, as people grew up, they were, it was normal to experience animal ritual sacrifice. Uh, there was an altar at the temple where the priest would do this. Uh, it was a normal part of their everyday religious experience. In fact, there was an animal sacrifice that happened every single day in their faith community. Every single day, a priest would offer a sacrifice. And then there was another sacrifice that would happen every single year. And let me talk about these sacrifices a little bit. First, let's talk about the one that happens every day. In Exodus chapter 29, God gives uh, this instruction to his people. This is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day. Two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight. 
Those are God's instructions. He says, two lambs every single day, one in the morning, one at twilight. And over the course of about 2,000 years, this is a normal part of their life. Every day, the priest would offer up a lamb. In the morning, would offer up a lamb. In the afternoon or the early evening, every single day. And because they wanted to honor God, we have these like extensive writings uh, of like priestly instructions recorded in a book called the Mishnah. Uh, And it goes into great, great detail about how to do these sacrifices the right way, right? So God said, sacrifice a lamb in the morning and at twilight, which is vague. Jewish teachers don't like vague, so they narrow it down and say, let's figure out exactly what that means. And so every day at dawn, as the sun rose, the first lamb of the daily sacrifice would be chosen by the high priest in Israel. And they would take this lamb as they chose it at dawn and tie it to the altar, but then they would wait for three hours. I don't know why they, they waited. I don't know if it was just to make sure everybody was up and at them. I don't know if it was just to make sure they want, had a buffer. When God said morning, we didn't want to do it too early. We don't want to do it too late. So they waited. And at nine o'clock in the morning, they would blow a ram's horn known as a shofar. And the lamb would be slain. It would be killed. And as its blood was spilled on the altar, you would be reminded of why we do this. Because... God asks them to have this sacrifice every day as a reminder that God set them free from Egypt, that their sons and their daughters did not have to pay the price of death when the angel of death came uh, during the Exodus. The whole point of these offerings was to remind them that God set them free. But Exodus says not just once, twice a day. So at noon, a second lamb would be chosen. And like the first, they would tie it to the altar and they would wait three hours. And according to the Jewish law at 3 p.m., which I guess is twilight for them, it's sort of this afternoon, later afternoon, right? The ram's horn would blow again and a second lamb would be slain every single day. 9 a.m., kill a lamb. 3 p.m., sacrifice another lamb. Every single day, a daily reminder that God has spared you that it is not your blood that is being spilled. Look at these lambs and remember that your children are alive and still here, that our people are still here, that God is faithful, that our God is not like other gods that require human sacrifices. And every single day, twice a day, you would get this reminder. Honestly, I feel like that's a thing we could use. Maybe not the animal part, but the reminder part. Right? Like daily rhythms that would remind me of this truth about who God is, what kind of God uh, he is, that God has paid the debt, that God loves us that much. I wonder what would change in our lives if we had such a rhythm that twice a day we would be reminded of who God is. So that was, that's the daily sacrifice, the priest in the temple every day, two lambs. Let's talk about the yearly, the annual sacrifice, because this is where it became really personal for families. Because once once a year, they would celebrate something called the Passover. And it was a reminder of, of when the angel of death passed over their homes and God freed them from Israel. And so rather than the priest offering the sacrifices of the lamb, you would do that. 
you and your family would pick out your own lamb. Because it is one thing for the priest to kind of do the sacrifice over at the temple. That's really good. But God wanted you to know that this is really personal. That God isn't just a God of the priest or of the nation. That God is the God of your family, of you. So every year at Passover, the father of the family would select and kill a lamb on behalf of his family. A vivid reminder that your life is in God's hands and is spared. Every family did this. Uh, In fact, a first century historian known as uh, Josephus uh, estimated that every year at Passover, 256,000 lambs would be sacrificed because every family did this. A quarter of a million lambs. That's a lot of lambs. But also, interestingly, God said, there's a particular kind of lamb that you need to have. Not a leftover, but your best. In Exodus 12, he says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. God says, when you participate in this practice, those lambs need to be perfect, flawless, no defects. Which again, practical-minded people go, well, how do I know? How do I know my lamb is perfect and flawless and without defect? Uh, So they had this custom of inspecting their Passover lambs every year. We have to make sure it's perfect. So they would inspect their lamb for four days every year leading up to Passover. And so for four four days, you check its eyes, you check its ears, you check its tail, like all that kind of stuff. You're like, is this the per- a perfect, flawless, without defect lamb? But if you're anything of a perfectionist, you still hope you're doing the right thing, right? What do you do? How do you know for sure that the lamb's not going to get a defect or, or something like that? And so the only way you could guarantee like a perfectly flawless lamb was to watch it for 24 hours a day. And so that's what they did. Like for real, 24 hours a day, someone was watching the lambs. In fact, there was a special group of priests that around the Passover time were tasked with watching the sacrificial lambs, the Passover lambs. And they built a large tower where they could like get in it and watch the lambs without having to like be like uh, defile the lambs and get them dirty or any of that kind of stuff. So they would have this tower, it was called the Tower of the Flock. And they would, this would guarantee that somebody was watching your lamb and making sure that it was perfect and flawless. And now the reason I tell you this story is because guess where this tower of watching lambs was constructed? In a city known as Bethlehem. This is a little town outside of the main Jerusalem proper. Sacrificial, perfect, without defect lambs were all hosted in the city of Bethlehem and watched over by priestly shepherds. And so this was their life. For 2,000 years, every day, a high priest would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in in the afternoon. And every year, you and your family would have a sacrificial lamb that you'd watch over while it was in Bethlehem and that you would sacrifice for your family as this reminder that God loves you, that God spared you, that God paid your debt and set you free. 
So that's the Jewish world, right? That's uh, what families and communities would experience year after year after year. It's almost routine. And then one morning, something different happens. A group of angels show up in the sky to a bunch of shepherds who are watching their flocks in the middle of the night. Who does that? People who need to watch the sheep 24 hours a day, that's who. And they say this in Luke chapter two, they say, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The town of David, Bethlehem. The town where uh, all the perfect, flawless, without defect lambs are watched over by shepherds. Now, the Gospels don't say this, so we don't know for, for certain, but I have to imagine that this was just another sacrificial lamb born in a manger, but this time it was really different. And this, my friends, is the very first thing God tells us about his son. The very first thing that the Bible tells us about Jesus is this deep connection to flawless, perfect, without defect, sacrificial lambs and Jesus Christ born in a manger in Bethlehem. And if you follow the story of Jesus Christ, you you get a couple of stories about his youth when he's 12 years old and he's in the temple, again, likely at Passover. And then it just kind of skips over to this age of 30 when he begins his public ministry. And when you look at the book of John, you hear the very first thing that is said about him. Joel read it to us just a few minutes ago. John 1 verse 29, when uh, John the Baptist looks at his cousin Jesus, he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So at his birth, the shepherds kneel and bow and worship before the sacrificial lamb. And as he begins his ministry, his cousin declares him again to be the sacrificial lamb. But remember, before you get to Passover day, you have to inspect your lamb. You have to look closely at it. You have to see if you can find any flaw because it had to be perfect. And if you remember our story that we started with, guess what's happening to Jesus? He's being inspected first with the religious leaders, then by Herod, and then by Pilate, the governor, and then by the Roman army, in fact. Jesus is inspected. He's looked closely at and say, what's the deal with this guy? And how does he do? Luke 23 tells us that Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, you have brought me this man who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him. In your presence, and I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Jesus is inspected. The Lamb of God is inspected in these days leading up to his crucifixion, and he is perfect, and he is without defect, and he has done nothing to deserve this moment. And so when we celebrate Christmas every single year, we celebrate the birth of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
We don't celebrate Passover in our tradition, right? But this is an annual reminder of a God who loved us so much that he would send his son to live amongst us as a lamb without defect. That's the beginning. That's the Christmas story. But the beginning is for something. The beginning connects us to the ending, to the next stage in the whole process because the lambs in Bethlehem were born as this sacrifice for you and your family. Every single day for 2,000 years, two lambs, one at nine, one at three. Every single year on Passover, we do it a little bit more with uh, our family, but it's the same system. And so Jesus is arrested and he's tried and he is found without defect and the crowds cheer, crucify him. They chose their lamb, their sacrificial lamb without any defect on that day. Pilate says, I find no fault in him, but if that's what you want, I wash my hands of it. And Jesus is bound to the cross. In fact, the author Luke in Luke chapter 22 tells us all of this happens at dawn. And so at the same time, there's a lamb in the temple tied to an altar. Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, is bound to a cross. And as the lamb waited to die in the temple, a few hundred yards away, Jesus bound to a cross begins what would be three hours of torture. He was spat on. A crown of thorns was twisted and put on his head. They mocked him. They whipped him. They flogged him. And then Jerusalem gets silent because a ram's horn blows. It's 9 a.m., time for the sacrifice. The knife was raised, the lamb is killed, and it's a reminder that the blood of the lamb is slain so yours doesn't have to. And at that same moment, Jesus Christ is nailed to a cross. Mark tells us that in Mark 15, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him, the moment of the sacrifice. But it's not finished yet, right? Because there's two lambs every day. There's a second. And so at noon, the second lamb is led to the altar and is tied to the altar in the temple. And Mark tells us that at that exact moment, the sky turned black. It got dark. Almost as if God, the father said, I cannot watch what is about to happen. And so for three hours, the second sheep waited on the altar. And as that second sheep waited to die, Jesus Christ endured the cross. From noon till three o'clock, as that sheep lay strapped to an altar, Jesus endured more pain than I can even imagine. And then at three o'clock, another ram's horn blows and a second lamb is sacrificed. And as that is happening, Matthew tells us in chapter 27 this, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple 
where these sacrifices were being, uh, were taking place was torn in two from top to bottom. Almost as, as one uh, rabbi I've heard talked about it, almost as if a father tearing his shirt from top to bottom in mourning for his son. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tomb after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city to appear to many. When the centurion, the Roman soldier, and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquakes and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely this was the son of God. Jesus Christ the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From his birth to his death, he was the sacrifice. He was the reminder that your family is loved by God, that your community is loved by God, that God saves you. So back to my question, why does it have to happen this way? I believe that it happened this way, that that God put his son at this time, at this place with Hebrew people in the first century who'd been practicing this this ritual for 2000 years. I believe that he had this take place so that those people and therefore us would know beyond a shadow of the doubt that the debt is paid. The sacrifice is made. You don't have to hold on to the coupon and go, do I have one more to do yet? You don't have to scrape up one more payment and try to fix something because you you screwed it up. You don't have to wait one more month that right here in this very moment, God made a way for you to no longer be distant from him, to no longer be separate from him, but instead live in a relationship forever with the creator. And for 2,000 years, people learned how to recognize God's love and his grace and, and and his forgiveness in their everyday lives. And God uses the same strategy to ensure that we recognize how great his love is for us. The author Brian Zond talked about the cross cross like this. He said, the cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. The cross is what God in Christ endures as God forgives. The cross is not where God punishes his son. The cross is where God in Christ endures and forgives an unjust punishment inflicted by a sinful world. It's where he takes away that punishment off of us and onto himself. John tells us in John chapter 19, at the moment when the lamb is slaughtered, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. The debt is paid. There is no more that needs to be done. Not only the power of sin and death is finished, but the entire sacrificial system is finished. The blame, the shame, it's all finished. Every debt you owe, every time you've walked away, every time you've believed yourself to be the center of the story instead of God, finished. And the question for you and for me is, do we believe him? Do we believe him when he says it is finished? Do we live our lives in such a way that says it is finished? Or do we live our lives in such a way that says, I think I still owe something. I think I might have like two more payments left and then I'll be good enough. 
So as we close today, as we head into this Christmas week, it's interesting to be preaching Easter on Christmas. It is interesting to to preach about the story, the end of the story at the time we celebrate the beginning of the story. But I think it matters because it's all the same thread. It's all the same story. And so today I wanna ask you to consider to find something that might regularly remind you of who God is, of what God has done and how he has already paid the debt. Jesus's community reminded themselves twice a day, every day, and once a year as a family. So what is your reminder of this truth? What is your reminder of the fact that it is finished? Maybe for you, you could start a ritual. Every single time you tie your shoes, that reminds you that it is finished. Maybe it's a reminder on your phone every day to remind you that it is finished. Maybe is there something you could do every single day that would just center you even for a moment on the truth of God's grace? Because when you live into that truth, it changes the world around you. It changes how you walk. It changes how you talk. It changes how you interact with people. When you live into the reality that you believe it is finished, it changes everything. Even more, is there something your faith community can do to remind each other that it is finished? I love this story of Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church in Norfolk, Virginia. One Sunday, every single month, the bishop chooses a family in the congregation to come forward. And the whole church takes up an offering so that that family can pay off their debts. And over the last 14 months, this group has collected $340,000 to rescue 59 of their church families from that debt. Not just because it's nice to have more money uh, in my wallet every month. They do it because it reminds them that the debt is paid. It reminds them of what kind of people we are. We are, it is finished people. So what can you do to remind yourself and the world that it is finished? That the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has finished it all. God's great love and grace is not just a Christmas story. It is our story. And it has the power to change the stories around us. If you let it, if you believe it. Let me just close with this scripture from the apostle Paul to his church uh, in Colossians chapter two as he reminds us that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, when that was true, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I recognize that so often it is easy for us and for me, God, to to be the center of the stage, to be in the spotlight and think about how the world moves around me. And God, when that happens, it is easy for me to feel like I have more debt to pay off. God, help us to become people that put you in the center, that respond to what you have done God, help us to be people that are reminded about the great truth of the Lamb of God, that from day one, 
Jesus Christ was sent to draw us closer to you. God, would you remind us of that truth every single day? Would you help us to live into that truth every single day? May we become people who say that it is finished. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb who hung on the cross. Amen.